You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. So Lord, we offer ourselves to you this morning and ask that you would speak into our hearts and lives through what we're going to sing, through what we've already sung, through what we're going to think about and wrestle with as we open your word in just a few moments. So Lord, we ask that as only you can, by a demonstration of your spirit's power, we would hear your voice this morning, that you would call us by name through our time in your word, through listening to your Holy Spirit talking to you and hearing you through prayer, singing to you and having you meet us right where we're at. So Lord, we ask for these things. We anticipate and expect these things and we thank you that you are here with us and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, okay. So if you're newer to our church family, once again, welcome. We have been in a study of the Gospel of John and uh, I just love the Gospel of John. I love all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John's, in, just between us, is probably my favorite. It's my favorite Gospel. I, I love this Gospel. And one of the things that I love about this Gospel is how it brings to life how Jesus is God. In fact, John tells us in this very Gospel at the very end, these things are written so that you might believe that Jesus is who he said he is. And so in establishing his identity, Jesus time and time again will say, I am this, I am that. And sometimes those are metaphors that he'll be pointing to that help us understand who he is and what it means to worship him as the God of our lives. And one of those metaphors is, I am the good shepherd. Those of you who were with us last week when we started into John chapter 10 and Gabe preached that, that wonderful sermon, we begin to look at the realities of what does it mean that Jesus is our good shepherd? And maybe for those of you who weren't here last week, Gabe helped us understand how a Palestinian or Near Eastern shepherd led their flock of sheep because it's instructive for us in understanding what it means that God is our good shepherd. So in 2016, I had the opportunity to go to Israel and we were driving on this road up at the top of the Golan Heights there and we're in our tour bus and we're looking down the road here and we see this pretty good-sized herd of sheep, flock of sheep. And so they're walking in the middle of the road, and as we got closer, I was thinking, hmm, how's, how's this going to work? Because they're, they're taking up all the real estate. And so this bus gets closer and closer, and all of a sudden, the shepherd turns around, and he starts talking to the flock. And it's amazing. They all begin to move over kind of like in formation, so that our bus can pass through. And I know this isn't that great of a picture because I took it with my cell phone through the window of the bus, but here's this herd of sheep and goats and stuff, and they're following the shepherd, and he's leading them from the front. And they're following him because they recognize his voice. And Jesus, once again, will call attention to this reality of what it means to hear God's voice because he, Jesus, is the good shepherd. So look for what that means. Look for what Jesus continues to assert about his identity as I read this, this passage to you that picks up where we left off last week. So it says this, then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter and Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were there gathered around him saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? 
If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you did not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you're not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We're not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law? I have said you are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be set aside, what about the one whom the father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy because I said I am God's son? Do not believe me unless I do the works of my father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe in me, Believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. So let's begin to work our way through this passage and these amazing assertions that Jesus makes about his identity. We're given the setting and the festival of dedication is happening. And this is about three months from what Gabe walked us through last Sunday. That was during the Feast of Tabernacles. This is now during the festival of dedication, which happened in December, and it was celebrating a point in Israel's history when they had been freed from some Syrian oppressors. And, uh, and there's more that you can learn about that if you want to dive into that. But all that means in particular for us with this passage and what we're looking at is there was a lot of people in Jerusalem once again. It wasn't a pilgrimage festival like Tabernacles was, but a lot of people gathered in Jerusalem for it. And it says they gathered around Jesus. Now, this is not a friendly, hey, you know, let's, let's hear what this person's saying. And, you know, you know, you try and crowd in and listen. This is encirclement, like a gang would do to someone they were about to beat up. This is hostile by the way this is written and by the word that's used here. So they're basically pressing in on Jesus because they want to know who he is, even though he's told them who he is. And he says that right here. I've, I've told you who I am. And he says, the works I did in my father's name actually show who I am. And when he says the works, that's another word for miracles. He's referring to the miraculous things that, that he has done. And the miracles were a mechanism. They were the means by which Jesus proved who he was. It was how he was asserting his identity as the chosen one, as the promised one, as the Messiah. But there's another reality that those miracles, those works revealed. They not only revealed Jesus' identity, but they revealed what life in God's kingdom is supposed to be about. You see, in God's kingdom, people aren't supposed to be blind. So Jesus heals the blind man. In God's kingdom, people are not supposed to be going hungry. So he creates food to feed the people. In God's kingdom, people aren't supposed to have a disease. So he heals people with diseases. In God's kingdom, people are not supposed to die. And so next week, we'll see him 
raise Lazarus from the dead. Um, this last weekend, I was in Idaho for my uncle's memorial who had passed away, and I was doing the eulogy part, and the, uh, another pastor was kind of doing the message part, and we talked very briefly before the service, and then we, we did it, and it was just, it was a blessing to get to honor my, my uncle's life, and very much so. But when the pastor got up, he began to share from where we're going next week in John chapter 11, <coughs> And he very rightfully said, you know, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, it was pointing to the future in many ways. And one of the futures it was pointing to is someday when Jesus comes back a second and final time, when he fully completes the bringing of his kingdom, there will be no more death, no more disease, no more hunger, no more war, no more racism, no more sexism, or any other kind of ism you can think of. All of that is going to be done with because things are going to be the way God always intended them to be. Hallelujah, bring it, we're ready, right? Yeah. Let's start today. How about today, Jesus? Please come back today. Amen. Amen. <laughs> but part of the problem here was the type of Messiah that many of the Jews were looking for was a political one, a military one. And one of the problems with that was the transformation that Jesus brings goes way deeper than politics and, and war and conflict. It goes much, much deeper than that. But they wouldn't believe it. In fact, Jesus points out, I did tell you who I am, and you will not believe. And please understand, this is not about cognition. This is about volition. It wasn't that they couldn't believe. It was that they wouldn't believe. Because they were choosing to believe only what they wanted to believe. <coughs> Does that ever happen today? Seriously? Have you seen our culture? We live in a culture that believes what they want to believe. Thank you very much. There is no capital R reality. There is your reality and my reality. There is no absolute truth. It's all about your truth. That's your truth. This is, this is my truth. And there is no such thing as this core, unchanging, unshakable identity. You get to choose your identity. My friends, this is a historic problem that goes all the way back to the beginning of human history, all the way back to the book of beginnings in Genesis in the Old Testament, all the way back to God creating the heavens and the earth and then creating humanity and Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve choose to identify different from God, separate from God. They choose their own truth rather than his truth. And sin and death and disease enters this broken world. And so Jesus, as part of the divine rescue plan, has now come to do something about that. So how do you know when you know him? How do you know when you know? And he says it really explicitly here. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and therefore they follow me. So do you? Have you heard his voice? I can tell you unequivocally, you have heard his voice this morning. Not because you've heard mine, necessarily, but because you've heard this. This is one of the principal ways God reveals himself to us, is through his word. This is more than just information. This is, this is transformative because it's about relationship. 
You see, we hear God's voice through his word. We hear God's voice through prayer, through talking with him, listening to him. We can hear God's voice through circumstances, through the community of, of Jesus followers, the church. All this through the workings of his Holy Spirit. This is a one-time thing, and it's an ongoing thing of learning to recognize and respond to his, to his voice. So you know you're hearing his voice when you know him. And when you, when you follow him. So are you following him this morning? Amen. Well, to your credit, you're here. So that, that's good. But that doesn't necessarily mean you're listening to his voice and you're following him as he leads and guides your life. I have a mentor who I'm going to be meeting with um, in a couple weeks. He has been a voice in my life and God has used him to be God's voice at times in my life for over 30 years. He's mentored me for a long time and man, does he know my story. And I remember beginning to meet with him really right after I was graduating from college and I had just come back to my home church and had been hired to be the middle school pastor and loved doing that and he, he was a, a great voice of wisdom in those years for me and, and then I transitioned it from that role at that church to a community care role, very similar to what our pastor Jerry does for us here at Grace and was in that role for a number of years. But I began to feel restless and I, I, I wasn't sure how to put my finger on it, but it seemed like God was redirecting me, which was huge. I mean, Jamie had been in this church, my wife Jamie, for 30 years. I think she was born in the lobby or something like that. Not really, not really. But she'd been there a long time. I'd been there 20 years. I'd been a part of the leadership team there for 14 at that point when I, when I eventually left. And when I left, I left to come here. But I didn't know for several years prior to that that was what was going to happen. And so I remember meeting with my mentor. It's one of the many times we've met through the years. And his name is Mike, by the way. But I remember meeting with Mike. And I remember Mike and I just talking about and weighing out things and how the Lord might be leading me to this next season that eventually brought me and my family here many years ago. And I remember us talking about that and him saying, well, just, you know, take me through what it's been like for you to follow the Lord and hear his voice and respond to him. And of course, we'd been on this journey for many years together. So he knew some of that. But I just began to take him through the major checkpoints in his life. And I said, yeah, you know, in my life. And I said, you know, when I chose to receive Jesus into my life and to follow him at that young life camp as a senior in high school, you know, I made a deal with him and said, okay, I'll follow you, Lord. But here's the conditions, here are the terms. I'm never going to be a missionary and I'm never going to be a pastor. And as long as you shake hands on that, we're good. I'm in. Well, God doesn't shake hands, Right. And I, for the record, love being a pastor and love being your pastor. But all that being said, one of your pastors, all that being said, um, I said no to God at that point in, in that area. And then when the Lord led me into vocational ministry to be a middle school pastor, I said no. And then when I was being transitioned by the Lord into this new role of being a community care pastor, I said no. And Mike was there for all those conversations where I said, no. And he said, so what do you sense the Lord leading you to do now? And I said, well, I'm, I'm not sure, but I think I'm being led to, to go be a part of leading a church elsewhere as, as a lead pastor. But I'm not going to do that. And he said, okay. You need to stop saying no to God. 
Because if you say no to God in the big things, what that tells me is you're saying no to him in the little things. And it was a defining moment in my life where I realized, you know what? I've been following the Lord for the most part, but there are areas of my life where I keep telling him no because I'm setting the terms. That is not listening to the voice of God. That is not responding to the voice of God. That is not following the voice of God. So again, I would ask you, like I have to ask me necessarily at times, whose voice are you listening to? And are you following the Lord on his terms or yours? You know, there's a fundamental reality here that we've talked about, and it's, you know, God, not. But there's another reason why we should follow him, not on his terms, but on ours. What does he promise us here? To give us eternal life, that we will never perish, that no one can snatch us out of his hand. He offers us life now and forever. And for the longest time, I didn't completely understand that. Let's back up for a minute. If you weren't with us last week, when Gabe took us through the verses that precede this in chapter 10, there's a wonderful verse there that I would strongly encourage that you memorize because of the perspective and the hope that it gives you. And here's my sale. It's a short verse. You can do this. If I can do it, you can certainly do it. It's John chapter 10, verse 10. And many of you are familiar with this or you have memorized it, but it's Jesus himself is talking. He says, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. abundantly. That can also be translated a full life. It can be translated a satisfying life. It can be translated a rich life. It can also be translated a fully alive life. And see, this is where I, I kind of went off the rails in my understanding of what this meant. When I first became a Jesus follower, and for quite a long time, I thought, okay, okay, God has promised me eternal life. So this is what I got to do. I just got to hang on, get through this life, you know, do my best. But you know, this is just, things are just not going to be that great until I get to heaven. And once I hang on and I make it to heaven, then that's the eternal life that God's going to give me. And that's the life that he's talking about. So I just got to hang on, grip my teeth, and I'll get through. That is horrible theology. And that is not true. Jesus promises us life now, not just eternally, now. And I'm not sure we always believe that or buy that. And it doesn't mean that we ignore what's going on in our lives. It doesn't mean that we pretend things are better than they are. You know, every Sunday we gather together, I'm reminded of the reality that all of us have some type of load. The Bible calls it a burden or burdens that we're carrying. All of us. There are some profoundly difficult, hard things that you're doing business with this morning. And this in no way says, oh, just pretend things are better than they are. Just be happy. No, that's not what this is about. But there is a life that you can experience even in heartache, even in loss, even in struggle, even in pain, even in suffering. You know, this last week was the one-year anniversary of my mom's death. My mom passed away. 
a year ago last, last Wednesday. And there have just been so many times I have been painfully reminded that she's gone. Oftentimes, it comes when I want to share something with her. And so I'll pick up my phone and I got to call my mom. She's not there. You know, our youngest daughter is going to graduate next weekend from graduate school. She would have been thrilled. She would have been so proud. And I so badly want to share that with her. And I, I can't. She's gone. She's with the Lord. And I'll get to see her again someday, but, but she's, she's gone. But I can also tell you, in my grieving this last year, in those moments that are painful at times, I can have joy. And I can still be alive, truly experiencing life, not pretending that things are better than they are, but there, there is a life that Jesus gives me that is truly living in the face of difficulty, struggle, anxiety, pain, loss, grief. And you know, I, I'm reminded when, I'm, when those things seem to be colliding that as bad as things are in this life at times, and they can be profoundly painful, they're going to get better. If not in this life, in the life to come. And as good as things are in this life, and things can be really, really good, they're going to be even better. And I may not know the future, but I know the God of the future. And that makes all the difference. And nothing can take that away from me and nothing can take that away from you. And Jesus is going to underscore that here. Look what he says here. I mean, this is so powerful. I love this verse. At one point I had it memorized. I need to re-memorize this section here. But it says this, I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. This is about a salvation that is secure. I want you to do something with me. I promise I'm not going to make you do anything goofy or dumb. But take your hand and put it out like this. Now close your fist. And we're not shaking our fist at the man. That's not the illustration here. Okay? Now take your other hand and put, the, put it over and do this. Now here's the question. And this is not a trick question. This is not one of those Gary Brashears I'm not going to answer because it's a trick question. This is, you can, you can get this. What is going to get out of this? Nothing. That's the point. Do you understand? And you put your hands down. Do you appreciate? Do I get what Jesus is illustrating with what he's saying here? The word picture that he's gathering for us? Salvation is not from you. It's not about you. It's about God. Amen. And we forget that. We forget the security that that gives us. And, and we need to hear that again and again and again. And we need to differentiate some things with that. And we'll do that here in just a minute. But sometimes we can fall into the line of thinking that we can lose our salvation just like we lose our keys. I mean, I, I am chronically losing my keys all the time. In fact, I lost them like three weeks ago for about four days. One of my sets. I have multiple sets of keys because I lose them. And all that being said, there's this thing called a tile that you can attach to it that you can call from your phone that will reveal itself. You know, it'll, it'll help you find your keys. And of course, the tile battery was dead when I lost my keys. And I'm like, geez, Louise, are you serious? Unbelievable. This is not living life, okay? But, okay, we'll move on. 
But that being said, salvation isn't like that. It's not. Jesus extending his grace to you and me, which is his unmerited love, given for the sake of right relationship with him and others, is not about your resume. It's about his. So what we are asserting here, and what Jesus, I believe, is asserting here, very clearly, is his acceptance of you and me is all about your response to what he's done for you and me by receiving him into our lives as our Lord and Savior. That's the basis of his acceptance of you and me, what he's done for you and your response to that. However, his approval of us does depend on us trusting and obeying him. Absolutely, unequivocally, unapologetically. In fact, in Hebrews chapter um, 12, I believe, no, 13, 12 and 13, both places, but especially 12, it talks about the reality that sometimes God disciplines us because we're not trusting and obeying him. And like a loving father or a loving parent would do, he disciplines us in order to restore us to right relationship with, with him. But I have questions about all this, and I bet you do too. What about people who say they love Jesus, who say they follow Jesus, but then they walk away? Or they say they've received Jesus into their lives and believe in him, but they live like hell and make no apology for it. What about that? You know, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus himself said that there will be people who say, oh yeah, we, I love you, Jesus. Look at all these miracles I did in your name. Look at all these good things I did in your name. And Jesus will say, I never knew you. Because they didn't. And I know that you have friends, kids, grandkids, co-workers, aunts, uncles, maybe even parents, grandparents, who seem to have walked away from the Lord. They, they say they know and love him at one point, but then they, their lives don't reflect that. And, and maybe they just, they never knew him. Or maybe they have so quenched and um, denied and ignored and stifled his Holy Spirit that, that, that they don't let him work in their lives. You know, the first pastor I had, um, my pastor at my last church, who was my pastor for many, many years, Till he went home to be with the Lord. He used to always say, I think there's going to be a lot of surprises in heaven. Meaning, not everybody's going to go to heaven. The only way, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life to the Father. It's only through him that we have life and eternal life. However, there will be people who said, yeah, you know, I'm a Jesus follower and maybe they won't be there, which is horrible to think about. But then there'll also be people who will go, you? <laughs> really? Because they knew the Lord, but they walked away from him. Not unlike the prodigal son who Jesus uses as an example, who never stops being a son, but who disgraces the father and wrongs the father and lives an incredibly broken life. I don't know. I don't have all these answers. But in the back, on the resource table, is, is something that um, I've printed off for you that talks about the reality, the security of our salvation in Jesus Christ. And it goes through a number of verses that, that underscore this. But Jesus very much underscores that it matters how we live our lives because of who he is. Look what he goes on to say. This is an amazing declaration. I and the Father are one. 
and there will be some well-meaning people who will tell you, well, this means that he and the Father are one in purpose. No, the very way this is written goes much deeper than that. And the manner in which it's written isn't saying they're two different people. Actually, quite the opposite. It's, it's saying they are one thing, not one person, by how this is written, which means they're the same essence, they are the same nature, but they're also the same God. Two persons, yet a unity. Three persons, one, one God is what the Trinity is all about and what Scripture teaches over and over and over again. And to make the point about his identity, that he is God, Jesus now reaches back into the Old Testament to Psalm 82. And whenever you come, you come across a quotation in the New Testament that's reaching back to the Old, it's absolutely necessary for you to go back and see what the context was for the Old Testament. And why is it being reached back for? Now, we did this in the earlier service, and I got in trouble with someone named Sarah and the worship team because I went way too long. So we don't have time to do that. But I encourage you to go back to Psalm 82. But this, look what this says. This is a pretty astounding thing. Jesus answered them as they're denying who he is. It is, not, is it not written in your law? Love it. I have said you are gods, which is Psalm 82. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be set aside, what about the one whom the father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? So as you go to Psalm 82, it's this picture of this heavenly court. And there are some, actually a number who believe that this is talking about humans. I think, honestly, after looking at it again this week and, and reading some things that challenged my thinking, I think this really is the heavenly court where God has assembled, basically, all the spiritual beings there, angels, demons, Satan, who are all created spirit beings. And he is taking to task the demons, in particular, for not administering justice, for not doing what's right. Because, and here comes the point, when either human agents or these spiritual entities are exercising justice, they're acting like God. Because that's something that God does. And so the point being here is, okay, you embrace this part of the Old Testament, all the Old Testament actually, as from God. You don't have a problem with Psalm 82 that talks about little g gods that have God-like power. They're not real gods, but angels, demons, God-like power. You don't have a problem with that, but here I come. I was at the divine council. I was there in Psalm 82. I am the Messiah. I am the chosen one. And yes, I am God. I'm doing the works of God and the miracles of God. And yet you won't believe in me, whose side are you really on? That's, that's the point that's being made here. So, okay, great. Well, where are we going with this? Well, this underscores that Jesus has an identity that never changes. He's the same God being talked about in Psalm 82, same God being talked about in the Old Testament, same God standing right in front of them, the same God in the future. Hebrews chapter 13 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His character never changes. Who he is never changes. His promises never change. His power never changes. Which has huge implications for us. Because if his identity doesn't change, if you know him, if you love him, then yours never will either. Who he says you are 
is your true identity. Do you know how freeing that is? How significant that is? Do I really appreciate the impact and significance of that? We live in a culture that is desperately trying to find an identity, any identity that will define who we are. And this is way bigger than just gender and sexuality. As important as those things are, and as often as that question is being asked, how do you identify, how do you identify? It's way bigger than that. What is your core identity as a person? And so where do many in our culture turn to to answer that question? TikTok. Instagram. Facebook. Social. And again, social has its place. This is not, oh, the evil of social. But what are we looking for social to do? We are allowing other people, what they think of us, to define who we are. That is a treadmill. If you and I choose to go down that road and look to that for identity, we will never get off of. You will always be looking for some type of consensus about what everybody else says about you. And here it comes. Only Jesus Christ is the one who will give you an identity that isn't achieved, it is received. Do you want to know who you really are? The path for that is knowing God. When you know his identity, you will know yours. And you can anchor your life to that. His identity changes, never changes, and neither does yours. You only find, I only find my true identity when I know his. At my last church, there was a man who I'd gotten to know through the years when I was serving as the community care pastor. I think he has the distinction of all the people I've known in my years as a pastor who's had the most health problems and the most physical difficulties of anyone I've ever known. As a community care pastor, I spent a lot of time in the hospital and our church was such a size and in proximity to Providence St. Vincent's on the west side that I was literally in the hospital every day most weeks, sometimes multiple times a day. At the very least, a handful of times each week, I was up at that hospital or another one visiting people. And over the years, Ken was his name. I visited him more than anyone I'd ever known. He just had health difficulty after health difficulty after health difficulty. His, his body spent basically a 15-year arc of just slowly shutting down and not working right. And, and he suffered. And he loved Jesus. And he knew exactly who he was. And so did the entire medical staff of St. Vincent's. The guy would not shut up about Jesus. Every place he went, he would talk about who he was, what Jesus had done for him, who Jesus was. And, you know, I think every single person on the staff of Providence St. Vincent's in that era heard about who Jesus was from Ken. The, the nurses, and they all loved him because he knew who he was. And despite his suffering, in the face of his suffering, he lived because he knew Jesus. And I'll never forget when he went to go home to be with the Lord and another pastor and I were sharing in in his service together at his memorial service. And we opened it up for sharing and um, you know, you never know what people are gonna say when you do that. 
But this one guy stood up and he said, you know, none of you know me, but Ken did. Because I grew up in his neighborhood. I was one of those kids, the neighborhood kids. And I got into trouble a lot. And I remember this one day we decided that we would just sneak into Ken's backyard and shimmy up his trellis to go up on his roof. And I thought, what were you doing on his roof? Okay, so they went up, he and his friend on his roof and were running around, literally on his roof. I don't know what they were doing up there, go figure. But life before social media, I guess, I don't know. But they're running around up on the roof and what are you guys doing? And, and so they come down and Ken comes out the door as they come around the corner and he's just looking at them. And he says, you know what? I'm really disappointed in your choices. <laughs> yeah, I know. And then he turns around and he goes back in and they're just kind of sitting there stunned. He didn't yell at them. You know, he didn't go off on them. He didn't call the police. He just looked them in the eye and said, I'm really disappointed in your choices. But the integrity of that man, the character of that man, the constancy and consistency of that man's love for Jesus won the day. And this adult now, this middle-aged guy who was standing up and talking and sharing about how Ken had changed his life said, that was a defining moment for me in my life that I never forgot. And I eventually chose to follow Jesus because of the moral authority of that man. Because he wasn't just a good man, he was a godly man. And the consistency of his identity changed my life. And I stand here today as someone whose life has been changed by Jesus because of that man, because of how he lived his. You will only know your true identity when you know his. And you know Jesus' identity when you've heard his voice. And once again, he calls to you and me this morning and asks us to trust him and obey him and follow him. So as our worship team comes and as we choose to do just that, we want to encourage you that this is your time. We deliberately saved most of the music worship for the end here. So you have plenty of time to continue to hear his voice and respond to it. Off to the sides, we have communion like we always do every Sunday for maybe those of you who are newer here. These tables that are forward or furthest forward here, those are gluten-free, so we got you covered for those of you who need to be concerned about that. But we have a culture here where it's okay to stand up and move around. It's, it's welcomed for you to worship, how God leads you to worship. Man, go take communion, remind yourself of your identity in Jesus. And if, if you're not sure if you've ever made that defining moment decision to receive him into your life, I can tell you unequivocally, he is calling you this morning to do just that. And I want to give you the opportunity to do that here in just a minute. I'm going to pray and then we're going to worship. We're going to sing and we're going to celebrate this amazing God who loves us. So um, would you please close your eyes, bow your heads, and pray with me here. Lord, I pray for anyone here who isn't sure if they've made that defining moment decision to receive you into their lives as their Lord and Savior. And Lord, I pray that right now, just between you and them, they don't even need to say it out loud because you know their hearts. 
they would say, I want you, Jesus, in my life. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. And Lord, for those here who are still in process with their spiritual journey with you, they're just not sure they're ready to make that decision for you to be their Lord and Savior, I pray that they would hear your voice, that you would not leave them alone, but they would continue to hear that you love them and you want them to know you the way you know them. And Lord, for those of us here who do know you, who do love you as our Lord and Savior, would we follow you? Would we choose to trust you? Would we celebrate a God who who pursues us by sending people like Lizzie to knock on our doors and tell us who you are? God, we celebrate the fact that you pursue each one of us. So would you continue to move powerfully in our hearts and lives and to change us? Lord, help us not to live by what we feel, but to live by what we know and what you say and who you say we are. And we ask this in your name. Amen. So let's worship. I love the reality of what we just sang. He is true. He is faithful. His promises never change because he never changes. And our identity really becomes called forth when we know his. When you know his identity, you have something to anchor yourself to. And if you've made that decision this morning to receive him into your life, to follow him as your Lord and Savior, we would love to celebrate that with you. Would you come talk to me, our prayer team, any of the folks around you? We would just love to celebrate because you've made the most important decision, the most important choice you will ever make in your life. And that is to know and experience him as your God. And we're here as a community to help one another grow and be who God has called us to be. So part of that process is prayer. We have prayer teams right up here in front. They would love to pray with you. I know them personally. I would gladly entrust you to them. So if there's something we could pray for you about, please, please let us do that. And uh, this is just such a wonderful end to the New Testament letter um, to Jude that says this, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior be glory and majesty and power and authority through Christ Jesus our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Amen. So let me pray his blessing over you. Lord, thank you that we've been able to gather to discover you together, to seek you together, to experience you together. And as we go from here, would we continue to watch for your work and to join you in that, to listen for your voice and to follow you as the one true God. Thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for your love for us. Would you give us the opportunity to love someone outside these walls, to serve them, to pray for them, to give to them the way you have done that for us and to us. Lord, all this we pray in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. So go and live for him. We hope to see you next week. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.